0: Well, today we're going to be talking about the urgency of uh, reconciliation. And for those of you who haven't been here, we're wrapping up this four-part series called Urgent. And Urgent is, uh, we've been looking at four one-page New Testament uh, books of the Bible that contain a very urgent message, something that we really need to get at and get at really quick. We needed to put into action ASAP. Now, you're going to see on the screen kind of a summary. The urgent message we covered way back in Second John was love, the fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith, love, joy, peace, patience. Uh, as Christ loved us, so we are to love somebody else. Then we got to the second message, which came from 3 John, and that had to do with influence. Uh, we need uh, leadership and examples to follow, but as Christ followers, we need to differentiate, be, differentiate between people who are worth following, uh, other Christ followers, and those that we ought to kind of move to the side and say, sorry, no thanks, we're not interested. Uh, We were at Jude last week, and we talked about responsibility. In other words, you're responsible uh, for you. Uh, You're responsible for what you think. You're responsible for what you believe and, and who you listen to and how you behave. And today we're getting at Philemon. And Philemon is another really interesting book. It's all about reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now, the Greek word is katalage. And by the way, only Paul uses that word. He uses it four times, but he never uses it in Philemon. I'm not sure why. But the word is katalage. Now, like these other three letters that we've looked at, uh, Philemon is a really fascinating book of the Bible, And though its message is very clear, the details of this book are are kind of bewildering to Bible scholars. Now, reading Philemon, and if you haven't read it yet, it's only, what, 23 verses, something like that, um, it's kind of like coming halfway through Downton Abbey at the movie theater. And you don't know exactly what's going on because you don't know anything about Downton Abbey to begin with. And you kind of watch it for a while. And then you leave before it's over. That's kind of the way the book of Philemon is. And that's because this little letter is a personal letter uh, between two friends. And it references a lot of stuff that you don't know anything about. And Now, the fact is we don't need to know a whole lot about these details in order to kind of understand the message of this. So since this is supposed to be a sermon, a teaching, and not a seminary class, I'm going to give you a little bit of the back story to help you kind of understand where we're going today. And if you've got Bibles, you can get them, open them up then to Philemon, and we'll track you through this. But Onesimus is the guy who being talked about. And Onesimus was a slave who had somehow become estranged uh, from his owner. Uh, and his owner, what happened to be a friend of Paul. And his name was Philemon. Now, Philemon lived in Colossae, which. If you know your geography, you know exactly where that is, right? Modern-day Turkey. And uh, somehow, um, Onezebus found himself leaving Turkey and ending up in Rome. Now, we don't know whether he just ran away one day or whether maybe uh, Philemon had sent him on a trip and he decided to go AWOL. Uh, We don't know if he went all the way to Rome to hunt up Paul or if he stumbled across Paul or what happened. Uh, We don't know any of the details. All we know is somehow what Paul did, and in his letter he shows the importance of reconciling. So there's a whole lot of brokenness going on, and there needs to be a whole lot of restoration. Do those two words sound familiar, brokenness and restoration? They ought to. We've probably said them 900 times in these 17 weeks we've been open. So whenever... um, Slavery comes up, though, in the Bible. I I always feel the need to address this because some people say, why didn't Paul rail against slavery? That's an evil, wicked, bad, nasty kind of deal. Well, you have to understand, um, Paul lived in a world where 40% of the population were actually slaves. If a man owned a business and he had people working for him, typically the people who had been working for him would have been his son, (laughs) Or if he didn't have more sons, he'd go out and he'd hire or buy a bunch of slaves. And so the world's economy during the days of Paul were built upon uh, slave labor. And even the most forward-thinking people could not imagine a world without slavery in Paul's day. It wasn't a question of human rights. It was really a question of productivity, how productive you want to be. In other words, without slaves in Paul's day, who would do the work? Now, Paul, though, I want to give you some credit here because he introduces some really radical ideas in this, even in this little book and elsewhere. He told slave owners to treat their slaves with gentleness and respect. Now, this is in a culture where it was okay if you owned slaves. You could beat them or you could actually kill them or you could speak harshly to them, you could curse at them, you could spit on them, you could do all kinds of evil, wicked, bad, and nasty things. And in a culture where slaves were considered to be the lowest rung of society, Paul actually would have been considered to be kind of on the cutting edge of what we might call today the human rights movement because he boldly said that we are all one, whether we are slave or free, Because we are all one in what? We're all one in Christ. We're all one in Jesus. And just the fact that he was trying to get two people together who had broken this a slave owner and a slave, to bring them into reconciliation, kind of shows that Paul was really kind of an advanced thinker in his day. See, common wisdom in that day was run away, slave, whip him, beat him teach him a lesson, and make him an example of every other slave who ever thought about running away from his master. And Paul says, well, hold it. Let's see if I can help you guys reconcile. How can I take something that's broken and restore it? And uh, Philemon, therefore, shows that there may be times when you even have that opportunity or the obligation to somehow stand in the gap of a broken situation and try to bring about restoration or reconciliation. I'm going to back up into the Old Testament for a minute in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 12. Paul, or, uh, Isaiah says, You shall be called repairers of the breach. That's kind of interesting. Have you ever thought about that? Bo, you've been called to be a repairer of the breach. Anthony, you've been called to be a repairer of the breach. Nancy, you are a repair of the breach. Judy, you are a repair of the breach. We go on and on and on. We've been called to take things that are broken and put them back together again. Now, in the book of Philemon, Paul tells us how to do this. There are four little guidelines, and that's what I want to share this morning. And these work if you're the middleman in a reconciliation situation or whether you're just trying to help somebody else. Uh, Here's guideline number one. Handle the situation with care. Paul's letter to Philemon actually is kind of a masterpiece in diplomacy. He writes about a very difficult situation, but he does it with dignity. He does it with uh, sympathy, with affection. Uh, He never refers to Onesimus as a slave. He never refers to Onesimus as a fugitive, even though that's probably exactly what he was. And see, fugitive slaves in Paul's day were in, in, in deep weeds, and they often paid some very harsh consequences for doing what they did. And so it now puts Philemon in a difficult situation because if he's, if he's lenient to Onesimus, what kind of message does that send to the rest of his slaves? Do they, what, does he want to make them think, well, they can run away too, but well, I'm just going to welcome them back with open arms? Um, So when you're trying to bring reconciliation between a couple of people, you're trying to reconcile with someone. You need to be aware of the obstacles. Now, Paul takes the opportunity to kind of reframe this whole situation here so that we can find restoration. Onesimus, by the way, means useful. Now, that's the Greek meaning of Onesimus, means useful. And so we see in verse 11, Paul uses kind of a little play on words. He says, formerly, he was... Useless to you, but now he has become useful to you. So, uh, so, formerly, useful was useless to you, but now useful has become useful not only to you, but also useful to me. Now, then he says in verses 15 and 16, perhaps the reason he was separated for you from a little while was that you might actually have him back for good no longer a slave, but something even better than a slave, a dear brother. It says he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man, and then Paul adds another <laughs> little word at the end, a brother in the Lord. That's that's kind of putting the hammer down. I'm gonna bring him back to you as a slave, and he's gonna be very useful to you. And part of the reason is guess what? He's now saved. We know that that's one thing that happened. When uh, Onesimus got there, Paul converted him. He was now a brother in Christ. So he's handling this situation with great care, trying to help Philemon uh, develop perspective on this. And so in order to be a reconciler, uh, you know, a couple things came to mind. One, you have to be sympathetic. You have to be able to feel for people. You know, In the community in which we live, there's all kinds of brokenness. We acknowledge that readily. In our own personal lives, there's a lot of brokenness. We acknowledge that. And you can't go around and just say, well, there's a whole bunch of broken people out there. I don't want anything to do with them. Sympathy, sympathos. I have to have the same feeling. I have to feel for these people to be able to be involved so that I can perhaps bring the love of Jesus Christ, which brings restoration. You need to be sensitive to their needs. You can't be judgmental. You can't look down your nose at people. And we might add, Handle it with great care. Now, here's the second guideline he gives us. Help both parties come to their own decision to do the right thing. You can't make a decision for someone else. You can't force somebody else to acknowledge their brokenness. You can't force anybody else to acknowledge things. Now, I don't know if you remember. I'm not talking about myself here with this example, but uh maybe you remember you, you got into trouble out on the playground when you were in school and you got sent to the principal's office not that it was not not, not that that was me what would the principal say well now you boys uh shake hands and become friends <laughs> yeah sure now i'm not speaking about my kids here but you know every once in a while you have kids that kind of get on each other's nerves and you say something like this, kiss and make up, and they both go, no no way, Jose. This is not anything I'm going to be interested in. Most kids would rather die than to kiss and make up. Uh, Maybe you can strong arm your kids. Maybe we did that. I don't know. Do we ever strong arm these two into into reconciling with one another? Well, they were always really good to each other. Ha! Uh, You can only lay out options and then give them the chance to do the right thing here. And so Paul does this here in verses 8 and 9. He says, therefore, now every time you see the word therefore in the Bible, you've got to remember what the other verses said ahead of it. But therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and do what? Order you, you know, kiss and make up, to do what you ought to do. Yet I just appeal to you on the basis of love. And then he goes on in verse 14. I don't know if this verse will be on the screen or not, but he said, but I did not want to do anything without your consent. So he's talking about the possibility that Onesimus, this runaway slave, could actually stay with Paul and assist him while he was in prison. Now, Paul gives uh, a pretty strong hint about what he should do. But he's leaving the ball in Philemon's court. It's the same way when you try to reconcile with somebody else. You can't go to them and say something like, uh, I want things to be right with, between you, and I want you to do what I think is right. You have to let the final decision be made by these people themselves. Now, here's the third guideline. If you want to be a repairer of the breach, be willing to give of yourself. It's not an easy thing to enter into unknown territory. I can remember my first mission trip. Many years ago, the first place I ever went to was Russia. It was right after the Iron Curtain. And I kind of wondered, what do I have to say to people that I don't even know? I mean, what credibility do I have? I mean, how do I help this, these people become stronger Christ followers? How do I become a repairer of the breach? And I remember my good friend, Dr. Ken Hunter, said, just be yourself. Just do what God has equipped you to do. Now, some of you are really good talkers. Some of you were born talking. Terry. No, I don't know Terry. (laughs) There there are some people, or or Laura, my niece. She's a born yapper. There are some people that could engage almost anybody in a conversation over anything. My wife is particularly good at that. Then there are people like me (laughs) who kind of tend to be introvertish and kind of just waiting for the right time. But what what Paul is telling us here is you need to be willing to give of yourself. You need to step outside your boundaries. You need to be who you are. But if you're going to be dealing with brokenness, sometimes you're going to be dealing with brokenness that is totally unfamiliar to you. It's way outside your boundaries. Now Eric's going to give us a little example a little bit later because he and Cheryl are co-founders of something called Songs and Smiles. They help families of people who have dementia, memory care issues and everything. And I think he would acknowledge that for some people to talk to people is very difficult. And sometimes in order to do that, you, you have to kind of put aside who you are in order to engage the person to help bring about some joy, some songs and smiles into their lives. Now, Paul kind of ratchets this up by saying in verses 18 and 19, and by the way, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I mean, this is going above and beyond the call of duty. I'll pay you back. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will pay it back, not to mention, oh, by the way, uh, that you owe me too. After all, how did he come to know Jesus Christ? See, that's the difference between meddling and uh, peacemaking. Uh, you've probably heard the old phrase, you know, put your money where your mouth is. That's what Paul is doing. Paul is willing to say, I'm, I'm willing to pay a debt in order to get you two guys back together again. Now, hopefully you can make a quick jump into realizing that somebody has already paid a debt for you. That somebody is Jesus. Because as broken people, sinful people, we have a fractured relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need to be reconciled. And what happens? Jesus comes into this world and he pays the debt for our reconciliation. He pays the price so that for our sins so that we can now have peace with God. See, the Bible says that even though we were God's what? Anybody know how it goes? Even though we were God's enemies, that's a strong word. We don't like to think, well, no, I just wasn't getting along with God for a while. No, you were an enemy of God in your brokenness. And you were living in rebellion. You're separated from him by whatever sin. And then then Scripture goes on and says, We were reconciled to him by the death of his Son. So reconciliation for us, restoration came through the suffering and death of Jesus who stood in the gap uh, between sinners and the holy God in order to pay the price for us. So we need to learn, as Christ's followers, to do much the same thing. That's why Jesus, uh, when he's teaching in Matthew chapter nine, uh, he says, you guys need to understand you can be blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called, and we probably today say, the sons and daughters of God. This is what Jesus says to us. Now, here's the fourth guideline. You need to follow up. Verse 22, uh, Paul says, one more thing. I like that. Paul, he's he's always got one more little thing he wants to add here. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayer. So somebody's already looking at Paul and saying, Paul's kind of in a broken situation. He's locked up in jail. But I know that you've been praying that somehow we'll get back together someday that would be restored back to the way it was. See, Paul, if you don't know, was under house arrest. He was chained to the Praetorian Guard day and night. He was able to receive visitors. He was able to write letters. He was able to conduct a certain amount of business, uh, even though he was not able to come and go. But he always felt that somehow, someday, he was going to get out of prison. And his plan was, when he got out of prison, he was going to make that 1,000-mile journey from Rome all the way back to Turkey and hang out with Philemon and encourage him. He was saying, this letter does not end my connection between you and Onesimus. And why not? Because when the time comes, reconciliation is not a one-and-done event. I'm going to put it more bluntly this way. Restore is not about hit-and-run ministry. We're not about hit-and-run ministry. A lot of people do hit-and-run ministry. They come, boom, they're gone. And that's the last you ever see them. This is our community. This is where we belong. This is where God has called us to do restoration amongst the broken community. That's why Paul was reminding us, I plan to come and spend time with you. And Paul says later in 2 Corinthians, uh, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. So we take this very personally. That means we help people to be reconciled to God and help people to be reconciled to one another. And then, of course, Colossians 3.15 echoes that thought. We should be eager to do what? Maintain the bond of unity and let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts such as members of one body you are called peace. Now, the simple truth is sometimes we don't really do that. Sometimes we... People find themselves in conflict. Uh, They find themselves in deep weeds. And when that happens, sometimes we go, well, (laughs) not my problem. But when these things do happen, we have the opportunity to say, yes, I can enter into this. Now, I've just been back, what, about two weeks from prison? Has it been about two weeks? I still get people who ask me to this day, why do you go to prison? I've had church members why, I've had church members say, "Why do you waste your time by going to prison when you couldn't hang around here with us?" Well, it's because there are people down there that are broken, and they've kind of, many of them got to the point where they acknowledge their brokenness. They know why they're in prison, and they need somebody to come in and remind them of what happens with broken people when Jesus comes into their life. You could be a peacemaker. you can be a repair of the breach. Now, if you've listened to enough sermons in your life, he you always said, if you laid everybody, if you took everybody who ever heard a sermon and laid them end to end, you'd all be a whole lot more comfortable. That's a bad joke. Um, but I left one very important part of this equation out, and the part I left out is, why do we do it? Why do we do it? Well, Romans five ten. I don't know if that, maybe that'll be on this. Yeah, there it is. This is why we do it. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And then he goes on, he says, And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So this joy he's talking about here is through Jesus reconciling death for you and me we now have received a wonderful gift that we are to do what? Share with other people. And we do that because we have Christ living in us. Nancy's probably familiar with this story I'm going to uh, tell her because it has to do with some, a famous person that she's had a chance to meet in the past. But maybe some of you can remember this. Some of you are my age. Uh, way back in the 1950s, Uh, The world was really shocked when five American missionaries were killed by a bunch of Aka Indians uh, down in South America. These uh, missionaries were trying to reach these primitive people with the gospel. And by going down there, they ended up being speared to death on the banks of the river. Now, it was later that the wife of one of these martyred missionaries and a sister of another one of the martyred missionaries uh, went back to work on the translation of the New Testament for the Aka Indians. And in doing so, they ran into a bit of trouble. And the trouble was they could not put the word reconciled or reconciliation into the Aka language. They just could not find a good translation. But one day, as the translators were trying to head to another place to talk to people about Jesus, they came up to a really deep ravine and could not find a way to get across, and they just figured that their day was done. But the Aka Indians, being uh, rather resourceful, took out their big machetes, and they chopped down a large tree which fell from one side of the ravine to the other, permitting everybody to cross safely. And the translator, the light went on, and he said, you know, the tree across the ravine a tree across the ravine. I remember a song which is called Bridging the Great Divide. Here's you, here's, here's God, and Jesus comes and does what? He bridges the great divide. And as we acknowledge our faith in Jesus, we walk across what Jesus has done to God. The great divide between sinful man and holy God bridged by Jesus. He's the one who became man, and he gave his life, and he died for us. He reconciled us to God. He is our tree across the ravine. And he calls us to do the same thing to be repairers of the breach. That's today's message.